The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. If you'd open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Jesus said in Matthew 22, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. In our sermon text today in 1 Thessalonians 5 in verses 23 and 24, the Apostle Paul wrote, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who will also do it. These two texts, the words of Christ and the words of Paul, are commands for the entire sanctification of every believer. It's a priority commandment in the scriptures as Jesus said the first commandment, the greatest one, is that we are to love God with all that we are. That is our sanctification. And so it's no mystery that Paul would reference it in his command for the sanctification of the church because the chief priority for God's people is for Jesus Christ to be glorified. And so we read in each of Paul's letters, there's a theme of separation from worldliness. In his letters, you will see calling of God. You will see believers that are called saints. You will see a demand for holiness. And all of these are outgrowths of that very first commandment that we are to love God with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind. And so the apostle writes in the conclusion of his first letter to the Thessalonians how they should live and, of course, how we should live in the light of Christ's return. And it comes down to this, this statement that he makes in verse number 23, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The doctrine before us again today is sanctification. And I use that term, sanctification, because the Bible uses it. Uh, I know it's popular in today's preaching to ignore theological terms because people don't understand them. And so instead, as the preacher preaches, he may substitute concepts and try to explain it that way. But it's really not much help when Christians read the Bible and they don't recognize what they're reading and don't understand the terms. And so what I want to do is to, to help you, and I want you to understand the language of the Bible, and I want you to know what the Bible says to you so that you can read your own copy of God's Word and you can understand the words. Now, mo most people will let the preacher do the heavy lifting of interpretation so they don't really need to read the Bible. But I would say the preacher who does that is a, really a poor excuse for a preacher. What you need to do is to pick up your Bible every day to receive nourishment from it. And you'll not be sanctified if the only time that you see a Bible is on Sunday morning. And so for the child of God, one that's born of the Spirit of God, one saved by the blood of Christ, this is the next step in your journey as a Christian as you wait for the Lord to return. It's how you live for Him. And how you will be sanctified so that all that you are belongs to him so that you can glorify him. 
And so the song of your life should be one that I used last week and is the title of this message. And, and the words of this song are, With all my heart I want to love you, Lord, and live my life each day to know you more. All that is in me is yours completely. I'll serve you only with all my heart. If there is a time for Christians to step up and be counted as a people of God, that time is today. Now, certainly, in my lifetime, I've not seen a greater need in America than today. Our society is broken. It's headed downward at breakneck speed. The morality of our country is swiftly changing, and I believe a large part of that is due to American Christians that are not sanctified. We don't have people any longer that want to stand up for the gospel, and neither do our lives reflect that saving gospel. And so years ago, we stood by as Christians when prayer was uh, taken out of our schools. We didn't protest enough when the Ten Commandments were taken out of our courtrooms. And now it's had a generational effect, about a, a, a generation and a half from those decisions made. Now we have a country with no moral direction, no compass. We look very much like degenerate heathens of Romans chapter 1 rather than a country that is founded on belief in God and religious freedom. Now, while no one is saved and becomes a Christian by moral influence, yet it is the moral influence of Christians that decreases the sin in society. But it's no longer possible for us to do that because our schools are filled with teachers and administrators that are not, haven't been educated in morality. They have no influence of godly homes. And so our schools teach our children against God. And we wonder why. Why does that happen? Well, I think it's because Christians for so long have been hypocritical. They've never practiced a sanctifying faith, not the faith that they claim. And so we, as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, this church here, we ought not to permit or to promote a culture that defies Almighty God. We've got to be a light to the world that's dying without Christ. Each of you knows the ranks of Christianity is racked by scandal, uh, nominal Christianity is rife with scandals, especially sexual scandals. That exists in Roman Catholicism as a historical problem, but it's also reached into evangelical churches and even Baptist churches that, that are thought to be of the strictest sort. And maybe you would expect these kinds of things to be seen in what we call the liberal Baptist churches, but how is it that we see these things among the strictest fundamental types who pound on moral issues with multiple rules and regulations, how does that happen? Well, it's terrible. And I think the reason is due to a misunderstanding of sanctification. Whether it's wrongly teaching that justification is by sanctification or that preservation is by sanctification, the approach to this doctrine is wrong. And so what we tried to do then is to clear this up. We don't want to perpetuate the error of others. And so we're discussing this doctrine of sanctification. And what does this mean for New Testament Christians? In the last message, we built a foundation for the doctrine with a definition. Now, number one, we looked at the definition of sanctification. Now, our statement of faith is a good source for the definition. It teaches that sanctification is a process by 
which according to the will of God, we are made partakers of His holiness. And in the statement of faith, it teaches that sanctification is a progressive work, that it's begun in regeneration, that it's carried on in the hearts of believers by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. It teaches that the chief means of sanctification is the Word of God. And it says that we are to self-examine by the Word, that we are to deny self, we are to watch and to pray. We see in our statement of faith that sanctification is a process in which God progressively removes sin from the believer and the desire to sin when we use that appointed means of the Word. Now, we shortened all of that to this statement. Sanctification is the process of being made holy resulting in a changed lifestyle. I want you to remember that definition because every time that you see sanctification in your Bible or you see the related terms in Scripture, this is the process that you are in every day of your life. For example, a word that's related to sanctification is the word saint. What do you think of when you hear the word saint? Well, most of us think of the Bible's very best and holiest people. They think of Saint Paul, Saint Peter, Saint John, others that are mentioned in the Bible as the holiest. And yet, that is the term that Paul used for every believer. There's the expectation that every believer would be as Paul, as Peter, and as John. In fact, Paul encouraged believers to be as he was, to follow him as he followed Christ. To love God with all your heart. That's what Christ commanded. And folks, that is the qualification of a saint. And you are expected to live that way because your name is in God's book of saints. There is one singular category for all of God's people, and that is the saints. And so to live less than a saintly life is a betrayal of Jesus Christ. Do you understand? The scripture says that Christ purchased you with his blood. He paid the highest price possible, and you belong to him. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. The price paid for you was the precious blood of Christ. Well, I realize that's a very heavy load. Uh, that's a lot to dump on people on a Sunday morning. And yet, that is the demand. That is the expectation for all of us without excuse. You belong to Christ. And because you do, you can do this. You have the power of the Spirit in you because Christ is in you and the Word of God says you are a saint. Well, next we spoke of the accomplishment of sanctification. Our text says, and the very God of peace sanctify you. Now, a moment ago I said some of our Baptist brethren misunderstand this. And in its place they put justification by sanctification, preservation by by sanctification, and what they do is to replace the Spirit's work with man-made rules. And so they say, sanctification is the believer's ability to keep their rules. And they care very little for what happens in the heart, and that's the place that Jesus put the emphasis. He said, love God with all your heart. And the heart has to be changed for you to do that. And you don't need a list of rules to make sure that happens. 
The heart must be changed before the sanctification process begins. We're not justified by what we do, and neither are we kept in God's grace by what we do. It's not what we do. Well, then we ask, well, who or what accomplishes sanctification in us? Well, we see it right here in our text. God is the author. The very God of peace sanctify you. And he goes on, faithful is he that calleth you who will also do it. God calls to salvation. Before he made the world, he marked you for salvation. Before you were born, he marked you for salvation. And then in the process of time, he called you out and he separated you from the world with the intention that he would conform you to his son. It was his intent before the first thing was made. Ephesians 1 verse 4 says that we were chosen in Christ to be holy and without blame. And so that tells us all that happened before the foundation of the world. So that tells us we can never trace sanctification to what we do. God initiated the intent of this process before you were born. Well, that's where we left off the last time. God is the author. He authored the plan before the creation. And now when and how does this process begin? Well, in the second part, it's God's Holy Spirit who begins our sanctification. The Holy Spirit is the agent of it. Now, our sanctification is a Trinitarian work. It's God the Father who chose us for it. It's God the Son who died to secure it. And it's God the Holy Spirit who initiates and carries on the work of it. He begins by regenerating and then when we are spiritually awakened, we repent of our sins, we place our faith in Christ, and at that very moment, progressive sanctification begins. We are separated to God. We're set apart for God's service, and we're enabled with a new power to love and serve Him. Now, each of us knows that we're still human, we're still in sinful flesh, and so only the Holy Spirit can give us the power to overcome our flesh. Jesus, in his humanity, relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. Of course, he was God. He would not sin. But the Bible also says that he had the Spirit in him. So that same power is available to you because this is what he said about each believer. We are also given the Holy Spirit. He is in us. He is an abiding presence. So every sin that you have can be overcome by the Spirit's power. All the excuses that we make about sin are met head on with this. A promise that God's Holy Spirit always indwells. And so you have the power to prevent sin. Now none of us can excuse our sin because there is the power in us to overcome it. So let me show you some ways that the Holy Spirit works in sanctification. First, the Spirit leads. Romans 8, 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. That's Paul's way of saying that every believer is given the Spirit. The Spirit lightens the path of righteousness for God's people so they can walk in it. If you are led... By the Spirit, that's proof that you are God's child. If you're not led by the Spirit, then you're still in the darkness of your sin. Now, what the Scripture doesn't say here is how close that you'll live to the Lord, but you've got to be led by Him. You can't avoid that. Neither would a Christian desire to. 
a true, true child of God wants to follow the Lord. That is a characteristic of every believer. Charles Hodge, the 19th century Princeton theologian, wrote that being led by the Spirit is to be under the constant and effectual influence of the Holy Spirit in regulation of thoughts, feelings, and conduct. And notice that he says constant influence. The Holy Spirit is relentless because you are God's child. Now remember that high price that's paid for you. God does not waste his payment. And so the Spirit is always there and the Spirit will take you where God wants you to be. So the Spirit's influence is that he's in that nagging feeling that you feel every time that you try to resist him. When you're tempted and you think about walking away from the Spirit's direction it's that feeling that you have that you are being pulled back and you know that what you do is wrong. The Spirit is in that gut feeling that you should turn around and if you don't, He's in that anguish that you feel that you can't go on until you've repented of sin. You can't do it until you get right with God. Now number two, the Spirit works in sanctification by transforming the believer. The Spirit transforms Romans 12, verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Uh, in this passage, the apostle speaks to believers, so he's not telling them here to be transformed in salvation. That is, just be changed from spiritual life to uh, spiritual death to spiritual life. They don't have any power in them to affect that kind of change. But he's speaking to the believer. And, and by using the appointed means, they can be transformed by the Spirit's power. They can be sanctified by yielding to the Spirit. The means of yielding to Him is through the Word, that self-examination, the watchfulness and the prayer that we spoke of earlier. Through these things, Paul says, be transformed. This refers to their habits. Unfortunately, many misconstrue that to mean outward appearance. Roman Catholicism clothes their nuns in a different dress. And what do they call that? They call it their habit. Their habit, their clothes, that, that's the separation from others. But that's clearly not Paul's intent in Scripture. It's not his intent for Baptists any more than it is for Catholics. And he clarifies this by his next phrase. Be ye transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. So we're not talking about an outward change here. This is something that happens inwardly. And again, this happens as the Spirit refreshes the mind daily through all the dedication that we give to spiritual exercise. So the simplest way that I could put it, your very presence in this church today as you listen to the Word of God is a means of renewing your mind. The command that the Word gives to assemble, to hear the Word of God is for the purpose of distancing yourself from the world and its influence to come out of the world and all of its sinful activities and to come under the influence of the Holy Spirit in corporate worship. Anyone here can testify that Hearing the singing, participating in the singing of praises to God and praying and hearing of the word. Can you testify that that does a remarkable thing to your attitude? This is the spirit transforming you. You miss that and you miss the opportunity of this refreshing renewal of your mind that's always cluttered with worldly influences. Then number three, to sanctify you, the spirit strengthens. 
Ephesians 3, 16 and 17, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Why does the spirit strengthen believers? One of the frequent commands that we find in scripture is to be patient. When you see that word patient in scripture, it means endurance. In, In this letter, of Thessalonians, there's an explanation of the Lord's return and the expectancy of it. And the hope, the hope that's in the letter is the means of endurance. We wait patiently through each trial because of the hope that we have, the hope that there's the promise of glory. So the Holy Spirit keeps that hope alive. And as he does, the Christian bears up under tribulations knowing That all of the hardships that he faces, all the experience that he goes through is worth all those troubles that he endures. And so as we endure each trial, there is added strength. Just as exercise hurts until the muscle is built, trials are hard to bear at first until we reach greater spiritual strength. I noticed that on those treks that I make up the mountain. At first I couldn't breathe. I had to stop, I heaved, and I panted because my lungs couldn't expand enough to get all the air they needed. My heart raced. But then eventually, through frequent trips, I became a wonder and amazement to those who traveled up the mountain with me so that I could could just go up that way. And I was just so proud of my youthful stamina. And that's the way trials brought by the Spirit increase our strength for the next ordeal. We don't lose faith. We don't lose hope in our trials because we built up this this spiritual muscle. And our experience tells us that God is always enough. He always has been enough to get us through all of our trials. Now, the fourth thing that Spirit does to sanctify is make us fruitful. Galatians 5, 22 to 24. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. Now you look at all these fruits. These are spiritual graces that are found in Christ. The goal of sanctification is to conform us to the image of Christ. And as the Spirit works, he forms in us these same graces that are found in Christ's life. And so the heart of a Christian is seen in his activities as he interacts with others. We see Christ in people because they bear the fruits of these spiritual graces. So we see here the Spirit works in many ways to sanctify. God never shortchanges the efforts to do what he intends. Paul said God's faithful to do it. And he had no doubt that true believers in Thessalonica would be sanctified, and so therefore he allows none of their excuses. But there's still another issue to address. You may wonder, well, how does the Spirit do this? Does he just infuse sanctification into us? Are we sitting here together passively while a secret work is happening in our heart? Is there supernatural intervention that we're not aware of? And then when we've stewed enough in this passivity... We come out sanctified? Well, if we were discussing regeneration, maybe I would say yes. The Holy Spirit works beneath our consciousness in regeneration. That's clear by John 3, 8. But we're not talking about regeneration. This is sanctification. 
And the Holy Spirit works through practical means to achieve it. And the chief means is always the Holy Word of God. And so because of this, we say the Word is the Spirit's instrument. The Word is the Spirit's instrument of sanctification. Scripture couldn't be clearer than Jesus' own words when he said in John 17, 17, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy Word is truth. The Word is the most practical gift that's given to man. The Word is a gift that every Christian can use and one that every one of us must have. Now, many of you probably have a garage full of stuff that you never use. Uh, I'm convinced that everything that I own must have some practical value or it will have it someday. So I keep accumulating and carrying things out to the garage and storing them and stuffing things further to the back of the closet and the door's hard to close and so thus a pack rat is born. The Word's never like that. The Word is practical every day. 365 days a year, 366 days in leap year. It's practical because it's the Spirit's chief means of conforming us to Christ. This is the way we draw closer and closer to the Lord. The Holy Spirit uses the Word. Each of us as a believer is in a stage of sanctification. We're not all in the same stage. We're all in it, but not all in the same stage. And our progress is measured by how much time we spend in the Word and how much the Word governs our lives. And so our growth is calculated by the Spirit's influence. How did it change you? How does it mature you in the faith? Now, as a baby Christian, a, a baby Christian, one just converted, has to feed on easy concepts in the Word. But more mature Christians appreciate greater Bible exposition. See, when you're growing, you can't help but want to grow more. It's, it's like this. The, the impression that I get with those who attend our Romans class is a desire to approach Scripture on a different level. When we first started studying Romans, I, I asked the class, how, how would you like to proceed? Do you want us to do just an overview of Romans? Uh, do, you, do you want us to skim through it and get the major concepts? Or would you like to spend some time and dig this thing out? Well, I was thankful to hear that people that attend the class didn't want to skim the word. Surface truths are not enough. And so we regularly dive down deep to get more insight into the apostles' good doctrine. Now, obviously, the Roman church did this. They, they understood what, what Paul wrote, and so, so, so should we. Now, be aware, though, in your sanctification, there isn't any connection between how old you are physically and how old you are spiritually. And I noticed this in our Romans class that we have some young people that can run circles around those that have professed Christ for many years. I'm amazed at the growth of some of our young people. They sit there, they listen, and they read the Word of God. They, they listen to teaching, they listen to preaching, they soak that up. And the Holy Spirit is at work sanctifying them, conforming them, transforming them into vessels that are used for the Master. And this is one of the reasons that you see young people working in our church. So, so many things that are going on among the young people in conducting our services. Now, what does the Word do that will help you? First, the Word teaches obedience. Obedience is the simplest of Christian concepts, and yet it's the hardest to maintain. 
The fact that there are commandments presupposes the demand of obedience. You read Psalm 119, there are 176 verses that are filled with acknowledgments of obedience. David spoke of myriads of ways that God blessed him through obedience to precepts, to statutes, to principles, to judgments, commandments. I mean, you just read that psalm and see how many different ways he refers to obedience to God's word. And faithfulness to obey God's word made David a man after God's own heart. But perhaps the premier example of faithful obedience is the man that was called the father of the faithful. Who was that? Well, it's Abraham. And what was it his faithfulness was judged by? It was obedience. Abraham obeyed God. I want you to listen uh, to God tell Isaac the reason he would inherit the promises that were made to his father. This is in Genesis chapter 26. God speaks to him and he says, Sojourn in this land, speaking to Isaac, Sojourn in this land and I will be with thee and I will bless thee. For unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all these countries and I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. And I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven. And I will give unto thy seed all these countries and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Now why would they be blessed? Well, he'd be blessed. Well, verse 5 tells us because that Abraham obeyed my voice. And kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Well, you look at the life of Abraham, and Abraham kept many of God's commandments. Which one do you think stood out most to Isaac? What is the one that is foremost in Isaac's mind? I think it would have to be the command that was given to Abraham to lay his only son Isaac on an altar. And sacrifice him to God. Now there's no one who knows what went through Isaac's mind. As he was there and laying there. And his father Abraham raised the knife to plunge it into him. And maybe at that moment he thought, Father, Father, must you obey all of God's commandments? But years later he is so grateful that his father obeyed. Because he inherited Abraham's blessings. So you listen to the numbers of times in the scriptures that it says to obey. Obey your parents. Obey magistrates. Obey leaders. Servants, obey your masters. Wives, obey your husbands. And of course, obey the Lord. In fact, the Bible teaches that obedience to all authorities is obedience to the Lord. How to obey, what to obey, that's in the word of God. That is your sanctification. Then secondly... The word works in you to cleanse you from sin. The word cleanses from sin. To be sanctified, you must be cleansed from sin. Back to that 119th Psalm in verse number 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. So the Holy Spirit takes the word, speaks through the word, and daily washes you from your sins. Jesus taught it in an example. You remember he bent, he bent low, took a towel and a basin of water and washed the disciples' feet. And as they needed their feet washed physically because of defilement, walking on dusty roads, he taught them that they also needed the daily washing of their sins in the word. 
Frequently their souls must be washed. They must be clean and holy. How did they do that? Well, I think it's evident by the washing of water by the word. Now the third thing that the word does is the word causes growth in grace. That's the objective, isn't it? Uh, Sanctification is a maturation process. And so as you learn the word, you grow up in Christ. Jesus said, man should not live or will not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And what did he mean? Well, he meant as physical bread nourishes, you have to eat in order to grow up to survive. He teaches that the word of God is the food for a spiritual man. And if you don't eat, you don't grow. And once again, it's the Holy Spirit that makes this process work. Without him using the word, breaking it down, enabling you to digest it, you will never understand what's in God's word. He gives the understanding so that it can be applied to every area of your life. Now finally, for our study of sanctification, we conclude with the nature of sanctification. Sanctification is not instantaneous as justification is. Sanctification is a process. I think you get that. I want to make that clear, and we've stated it. It is a process. Means are used for sanctification. You've got that. That's the Word of God primarily. But here's another thing. The the Word of God and sanctification is not given for the improvement of your flesh. Sadly, some are only concerned with that. How can they improve the flesh? How can you look better than you actually are? Well, the futility of that is mentioned in Galatians 5, verse 17, which says, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. In other words, Paul is telling us there, you are never going to get the flesh to line up with the spirit. It's just not going to happen. Now understand, when he says flesh in the verse, he's not talking about physical skin that covers your bones, but he refers to your nature, a nature that was corrupted by the fall of Adam. And there's a constant warfare that goes on between the old nature that you were and the spirit that is in you, and it won't be won and over with until we are glorified in the resurrection. So we're, we're never going to accomplish entire sanctification in our flesh because we still have the presence of the old nature. It can't be accomplished because of radical corruption. So God's not working on your flesh. Did you know that? He's not working to improve your flesh. One day, this nature, this old flesh that we had, that we're born with, it's going to be destroyed. The body decays. Then in the resurrection, we have a reconstituted body that emerges and it's free from sin. So God's not really interested in your flesh. He's not trying to reform your flesh. So what does he want? He wants a new person. He wants a person that is renewed in the image of the one who created him. Colossians 3.10 says, And have put on the new man which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. Ephesians 4, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, that is your old way of life, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye may put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. There he is speaking of your sanctification. God puts 
a new nature in us when we're saved. We are partakers of the divine nature. And so our sanctification then becomes the maintenance of that new nature. In other words, it's the tune-up. It's the thing that keeps you running and operating efficiently. The new nature is termed new in the sense that it's different from the old by the work of the Holy Spirit. Now let's give this last note. Sanctification is an internal, inward grace. It works on the inside. It isn't at all concerned with making your flesh better, but you do need to be aware that an inside change can't help but make itself apparent by working its way to the outside. And so it shows up in a different you. It shows up in how you act differently than you did before. And that is the reason Jesus said, By their fruits ye shall know them. So the way that you act, the things that you do, the way that you live is the indicator of if, to whether you really truly know Jesus Christ. So sanctification shows up in practical Christian living. But when I look at you, I, I can't see if Jesus is living in your heart. I have no way to examine your heart and see what's there. But I can tell if the Spirit's influence is there by the way that you live. Like footprints in soft ground, you can see where Christians have been. There's evidence of the Spirit of Christ who lives inside. James said, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. And there are plenty of people who say, Oh, yes, I'm a believer. I have faith. James says, show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. That's the way it always works. The evidence of true belief is in what you do. So what's the practical application of that? We'll look through the scripture. When a drunkard gets saved, what does he do? He gives up his drinking, gives up drunkenness. When a drug addict is saved, what does he do? He gives up drugs. When a homosexual is saved, what does he do? He gives up homosexuality. Now perhaps none of you were any of those things before you were saved, but I can tell you this, when you got saved, you must have given up old habits. You must have given up an old way of life because that happens to people that are renewed in the mind. When they are sanctified, they live like Christians. So this is what sanctification and your salvation does to you, it makes a different you. God always sanctifies. Paul said God is faithful to do it. So we're not going to accomplish sanctification by dressing up the outside. We're not going to do it by trying harder to clean up our lives. We're not to bank our Christianity on certain physical characteristics. We don't bank it even on soul winning cards and how many we can fill out. We don't bank it even on the fact that you're in church today. Salvation is a heart change and sanctification works in that new heart. Sanctification is that inward grace accomplished by the Holy Spirit. He won't let you live one day without Him. Jesus said He will abide in you forever. So quickly, as we conclude, let me give you four fruits of sanctification that are produced by this inward grace. Here's how you're going to see if you are truly a believer in Christ and you're being sanctified. Number one, an increasing hatred of sin. A believer going through the sanctification process has an increasing hatred of sin. A believer hates sin because he knows that separates him from God. 
And then on the top, on top of that loss of fellowship that he has, he knows that God must correct him through chastisement. Chastisement is God's disciplinary method of sanctification. The believer never wants to be there because sin displeases God and sin is never a positive experience. What else happens to a person being sanctified? Number two is a deep sense of unworthiness. The sanctified believer realizes complete dependence on God. And so instead of looking inwardly for his strength, he realizes deep unworthiness and he looks up to God. And so there's this real, real sense in his heart that he says, I can't do this by myself. Lord, I've got to have you. I don't have any power in myself. Or as the psalmist said, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And then in another place, he said, it's God who makes us different from others. So we have nothing to boast of because everything that we are comes from God. Now thirdly, a person who is being sanctified, number three, has a growing interest in the means of grace. The more the Holy Spirit does in you, the more you appreciate what he does. So more and more you want to practice the things that make grace grow in your life. When you're sanctified, what do you want to do? Well, you want to pray more. When you're sanctified, you want to praise more. You want to read more. You want to hear more of God's Word. And then importantly, I think you want to be where God's people are. You're glad when they say, let's go to the house of the Lord. Sanctified people love to go to church. And so when service time comes, it's not drudgery to get up and go to church. They want to be where God's people are. And then lastly, a sanctified person has an increasing love of heavenly things. The love of God, the love of God's work, replaces the love of sin and the love of self. Jesus said in Matthew 6.21, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so when the Spirit's working in you, you can't be happy unless you have your mind on things that are above As he transforms you, you get your mind off the things of the world, the things that the world likes, those lusts that you have, the things that you engage in that's not pleasing to God, and you turn your attention to to the glories of God, what he has in heaven prepared for you. Colossians 3 says, set your affection on things above, not on things in the earth. Why? Because you are dead to those things, and your life is hid with Christ in God. One of these days... We're going to lay down this old sinful flesh. We'll be rid of this sinful nature and we'll be glorified with Christ. We shall be like him and then our entire being will be sanctified holy. Ah, but you ought not to think because I can't be completely sanctified in this life, therefore I don't try. No, as a child of God, you strive for perfection. You strive to be as much like Christ as you can be through that work of the Spirit through His intervention. We're always going to be in this process, always in the sanctifying process. Thank God He doesn't save us and then leave us to do this ourselves. We would fail miserably if He did. And so He equips us. He strengthens us by the Word, by grace, and by then leading us home where we'll be with Him forever. I hope that you've experienced that power of God, the grace of the Spirit in your life. God demands it of you. 
If you say that you're a Christian, if you say you have believed, he demands for you to be sanctified. Be ye holy, he says, for I am holy. We see it in in our text again that Paul says, your whole being, your spirit, your soul, your body must be blameless. It must be sanctified until the Lord comes to call you home. Isn't that his intent in 1 Thessalonians 5? Teaching them about the return of Jesus Christ. This is what you do while you wait on him to come. You are to be sanctified. And Paul said that is God's work to accomplish in you. Yield to the spirit. Faithful is he that calleth you, who will also do it. Let's pray. Father, we come to you thanking you for your Holy Spirit that you put into our heart. That Spirit is there to to lead us, to guide us, to comfort us, to show us the way that you would have us to walk. And Father, because the Spirit is in us and we've been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ... There is no excuse for us not to live the way you say for us to live. Today, I realize, Lord, there may be someone here, first of all, who doesn't know you as Savior. No one can be sanctified who has not believed. So we pray, Lord, for belief, for understanding of the Word of God and your Holy Spirit will do that as well. And then for Christians here today that know that in their daily lives they're just not living as they should. The Word of God tells us to be very careful to examine ourselves to see if we're in the sanctifying process. Do we have the desire to sin or do we not? Do we have desire to be like Christ or do we not? Do we have a desire for the Word or do we not? Do we have a desire to always be blameless in our lives or do we not? And if that desire is not there, then we have people that claim Christ but don't know Christ. Lord, I pray that you would change folks today. Help us to help us to yield ourselves to the Spirit's work and be the church that is an influence to those that are in the world. We will not influence them if we live like them. We will not influence our family, our friends. We can't do it unless we live like Jesus Christ. Help us to do that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.